Welcome to the Rerooted Podcast with Francesca Maxime, trauma-sensitive mindfulness meditation teacher and poet. Together, we'll take a closer look at approaches to transforming trauma with insights from psychology, neuroscience, spirituality, social justice, and the creative arts. Join Francesca and her guests for an exploration of our shared connection and how we can cultivate greater compassion for ourselves and for others. If you'd like to support Francesca and the Rerooted Podcast, please visit BeHereNowNetwork.com forward slash Francesca. Hey, everybody. I'm Francesca Maxime, and welcome to the Rerooted Podcast here on Ram Dass's Be Here Now Network. You can always find out more about me if you are interested uh, by going to my website at worldwideweb.maximeclarity.com, M-A-X-I-M-E, Clarity, C-L-A-R-I-T-Y.com. There you can find anti-racism resources, uh, mindfulness resources, and also past episodes of this Rerooted podcast. And I also offer one-on-one somatic coaching sessions there if that's something that interests you. Um, I want to introduce today um, Scott Tusa. He is a, a Buddhist meditation teacher who spent the last two decades exploring what it means to awaken the heart through an embodied approach to the spiritual path and spent, frankly, quite a long time as um, basically a practicing monk um, and now is able to offer some of these uh, deeper teachings uh, to the rest of the world and uh, coming to us from Mexico right now, just like I'm coming from uh, Nitbuckland here in Massachusetts as of this recording right now. Welcome, Scott. Nice to see you. Nice to see you. Thank you so much for having me. It's, it's my pleasure. Um, you know, as we're in the middle of this uh, pandemic still, it's November 17th is the time of this taping. And um, we're, we're, we're just sort of getting through an election here in the U.S. Uh, one of the things that was a big part of that was the fact that we've elected a uh, Jamaican, Indian, uh, Black woman vice president uh, to the mm-hmm. highest, you know, post uh, in the land ever. So that's a big historic thing. And what caught my eye about what you posted on Instagram recently about that, I believe, or maybe not even just about that, but just in general, was a post where you said, and I'll share the screen on this so that people can, can maybe see it, which is everyone wants a spiritual woman I'll put it up here. You said, everyone wants a spiritual woman uh, until she is pissed off. Now she is a witch and you're scared. And I loved that. And it kind of just made me say, okay, well, there's a there's a part of you that is um, really trying to be what we would call an ally or a co-conspirator or, um, you know, a uh, a bodhisattva or, or, you know, a Kalyanamita, if we're using, you know, Buddhist language around that. Um, and I wanted to kind of unpack that. What did you mean in this post? And then sort of get into what I hope is our topic of conversation for today, which is what do you have to say or what are your thoughts and reflections on what I like to call fake woke bros, which is sort of like this idea of spiritually bypassing and kind of getting into a place where this, um, what I would call toxic masculinity gets refashioned in a way uh, through this sort of wellness guise that I think is kind of problematic when it comes to, to these things. So that's what we're, that's what we're talking about today. So you want to explain, (laughs) (laughs) you want to explain the Instagram post first or. Sure. I mean, it it was a, it was the share from another, um, Instagram page because at the bottom it's uh, I think it's awakened awakened, awakened goddesses yeah awakened underscore goddesses mm-hmm. um, it just popped up in my feed and and kind of the way I do my Instagram is kind of just like a curated wall of just like 
sometimes I put quotes, sometimes I put ideas and thoughts, and sometimes I just like to repost stuff that I love and just kind of curate it. And, um, and just what makes us think and makes me think. So, um, yeah, that just made me laugh out loud <laughs> because, um, and of course, yeah, I definitely, um, uh, wanting to be an ally, um, for women and women who often, uh, Again, like I think when we bring the word spiritual in, it brings all these implications of like, we shouldn't be this way or we shouldn't be that way or, you know, a man should be this way or a woman should be this way or, or whatever. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of ideas out there. So I just like the cheekiness of it. Uh, personally, it made me laugh. And definitely like in my life um, made me think about my relationship to women, uh, both in intimate, you know, romantic relationships um, with partners as well as um friends and just you know students i have as well and um this this notion that you know i think i've noticed myself in the past kind of wanting you know longing for a partner in crime uh and and i just happen to be a cisgendered uh straight white male the <laughs> and um you know wanting a, a partner in crime um, uh, a woman to to be with and a, and a spiritual partner and then at the same time you know learning as I came out of uh, my monastic life of learning, you know, realizing that, you know, I have a lot to learn um, coming back into the world of relationships. And at the same time, um, I have a lot to learn from women. And so personally for me, that's not a new idea for me or a new thought um, in Tibetan Buddhism, in the, uh, the Vajrayana path of Tibetan Buddhism or the tantric path of Tibetan Buddhism we, um, the deeper you go into the tantric path, uh, whether you're going in, into the texts and studying them or you're, you know, hopefully practicing them, um, it, it, it uh, there's a large feminine wisdom principle within my tradition. And so that always appealed to me, uh, for the last 20 years that appealed to me. And I think, um, merging that with my so-called, you know, quote unquote worldly life or kind of my, my human, the human side of my you know, which I don't know if there's any other side for me at the moment, but the human side of my spiritual path and relationships, just realizing how much I have to learn from women as a man, you know, mm -hmm. and, and, and then, it, and then that means like, how do I want to place women in my life? How do I want to treat them? How do I want to center them in my life? As, as, like I said, in all the kinds of relationships I can have with the women in my life. Mm -hmm. um, so, so I think, that post sparked, just sparked laughter, you know, because I've had that kind of conversation with partners before, um, where it's kind of like, okay, I mean, you know, we all know when we get into partnership with someone, you're basically just, you're, you're asking for a lot of bliss and connection and joy, but a lot of pain too, as mm -hmm. we're working through our shit together, you know? So, so I think women get the, get the short end of that stick because often as men, like if, if we're acting like a shitty person, no one calls us a witch. No one calls us a, you know, a crazy or something like that, you know, which, which often uh, gets lobbed at women. So, you know, I don't, I like the post, but <laughs> that's kind of my, today, those are my thoughts around it. Right, right, right. Yeah. Thank you. And yeah, I, I guess I didn't catch it was a repost from Awaken underscore goddesses. So that's great. And I mean, I think this idea of what does it mean to be an ally? What does it mean to be sort of, um, an embodied relational um, being. I, I mean, I am coming from the social location um, of a Haitian Dominican, Italian American, cishet, um, 
you know, first language English, first religion, you know, Catholic, you know, born in Chicago, uh, you know, privileged in education with secondary, uh, you know, graduate school person um, with a lot of like layers of intersectionality there. And um, we all have our unique story. And given all of that, um, you do come from what would be a more centered social location, which is the white cis het man through which this um, sort of uh, systemic um, patriarchy, for lack of a better word, has been in service toward, which isn't to say that you are actively trying to enable that system. It's more, I think, the whole idea of how does the Buddhist path help support disrupting that system in a way that's supportive of uh, collective liberation. And that includes the allyship or the embodiment and even the relationality in a personal or rom romantic relationship that you're talking about. And so I'm wondering, um, you know, around that, you're mentioning the Vajrayana class, people hear tantric, you know, they maybe think about sex or something. Can you explain yeah. a little bit about how that's just not necessarily part of it, but that may be one that may be part of it, but that may not be all of it. Um, but what is the whole point in recognizing the feminine in um, Vajrayana Tibetan Buddhism? What is the whole sure. point in celebrating that? Sure. Um, I just wanted to mark one thing. I, I do have an ethnic. I'm, I'm Jew, you know, You're I'm Jewish. Jewish. I know you are. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know you are. I know you are. I know it's that whole thing and, of like. Uh, white i know we've been talking no, about that but, too, but, but it's yeah. interesting because i think it did give me another position in the world and then sometimes that's the, like jews often are very privileged in the united states too so that's you know there's there's often that it's, side it's too, both but, and for sure yeah and my my dad's side is sicilian uh italian so so i have kind of sicilian and then jewish roots <laughs> but right. and I think that's just to name that, um, you know, even though, of course, I, like I'm, I'm happy to identify as a cisgendered white male because that's kind of how my body shows up in the United States and in the world. Uh, but the reason I like to identify that is so white people can start to recognize they have um, ancestors and culture mm -hmm. and they have to start connecting back with our culture and, and starting to rebuild culture. Because what for white folks, we've just lost culture. And that's why, you know. Uh, some of what, what, you know, what perpetuates a lot of, in, in my opinion, a lot of the problems. Uh, but anyways, that's maybe any other podcast. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. Yeah. All of that's really critical. And I mean, we've talked a lot about that kind of thing. And it's not really for me to say, like, you know, how you are or aren't. I guess the thing about race as opposed to ethnicity is that race and the way in which the racial hierarchies have been very randomly socio, you know, constructed socially, that in this case, you present, you know, there are the people who happen to be white. I heard someone say once, which is the ones who are sort of doing the collective liberation work, which I think is kind of what you're pointing to, and the people who like identify as white, which may be more along the idea of the piece of being part of white supremacy. And so I think that yeah. you're perhaps in using that distinction might be the one of the ones who like happens to be white in the way that the structure is presented and constructed, you know. I definitely feel that way. And in my own kind of work with, uh, you know, undoing whiteness in my own body and how it's a conditioned me and affected, affected me um, to whatever degree I can undo that um, in my own work. Just I've come to the, you know, acceptance, like my body presents as a white male and I have to accept that. And that's just what it is. And, you know, and I'm conditioned by that. So I'm totally fine accepting that. And then, you know, more just realizing these ethnic variants uh, for those who were invited into whiteness uh, are important to recognize because it can give us some ancestors and roots to connect with I mean, yeah i think first, that's critical yeah i do think that's critical yeah my first um 
I never connected to Judaism as a religion, more my stomach connected to the food and the, you know, the, the ethnic aspects of it and the culture of it, uh, but not so much the religious aspects. Mm-hmm. But the, the actual, the first, when I, when I started my own spiritual search for a path uh, before I met uh, Buddhism, I actually practiced Santeria, uh, which, you know, for those of you who don't know, is, is a, a, it stems from the Yoruba tribe of uh, Nigeria, but it made its way to both uh, Brazil and, 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 and Cuba. And so I practice more of the Cuban form of it and it blends with Catholicism, but that helped me to kind of develop some kind of ancestor practice because that was the first thing I was taught was like create a shrine for your ancestors. And it really helped me to heal a lot of things. And that was when I was 16, 17. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, But um, yeah, I want to get to your other question, (laughs) but no, um, it's all, it's all relevant. Yeah. So um, yeah. So, I mean, Vajrayana is a big topic, and it's a big it's a big system, uh, a large system of Buddhism. We, we could just say Himalayan Buddhism, not just Tibetan Buddhism, because it exists in Bhutan and Mustang and Nepali Himalayas and, and, and all over. Um, and probably at its height, it was uh, it, it Afghanistan was also a Buddhist country at, at one point. It was part of India, and so um, uh, what was I going to say? So that was known as a um, uh, held a lot of tantric Buddhism. And we could just say, like, the more I learn about Tantra in general, uh, I'm just going to be clear about it. Indic Tantra, not Western forms of it that kind of pull from a lot of places. Um, Indian Tantra, the, the, you know, what we're learning, these these traditions, you know, we're a lot more connected and a lot more, there's a lot more crossover between so-called, I mean, Hinduism is a new word, relatively. Even Buddhism is, is kind of a new word. You know, it's a colonial word. Mm. So, um, so before that, you just had all these different sects, uh, sects of practitioners and groups and, you know, sanghas and teachers and et cetera. So, so Buddhist Vajrayana really comes out of that milieu of, of the Indic traditions. And, you know, we do believe that the Buddha taught it. And then it was uh, kept very, very secret, taught one-to-one. Uh, for many years until it was opened up more widely. And really it was opened up much more widely in the Himalayan Buddhist traditions. So, so yeah, just distinguishing it from like sex, sexual tantras and all this kind of stuff, uh, which are really just uh, westernized forms that um, one of my friends, uh, uh, he, he writes a little bit about this and, you know, I'm not, I'm not like the guy to talk about with this, but it seems like in the history they're pulling from, the Western forms are kind of pulling from Indic forms, but then they're not quite, I don't know who's to say what's, I don't want to say what's authentic or what's not, but definitely in Buddhist Tantra, um, of course we use uh, our sexual energy um, within the path. We're not denying that, but it's not really centered as the main thing. The main thing is understanding how the mind creates suffering and how to unwind that suffering within the mind. And then the tantric technologies of tantric Buddhism use uh, embodied technologies of, you know, prana, breath, uh, uh, yogic uh, postures and techniques, trying to, um, through the body, uh, um, uh, uncover awakening. And then you have these kind of uh, tiers of also how ritual connects to uh, bringing in the capacities of awakened energy uh, through what we call data yoga or, or kiram in Tibetan where we're imagining uh, the world as uh, um, a sacred world and we're bringing that into our consciousness, recognizing that we're sacred, recognizing that others are sacred. And so, um, you know, Tantra uh, from the 
you know, definitely from its Sanskrit roots, but also the Buddhist word for it, the, the Tibetan word, it just really means to weave. And I think it's really weaving together um, these, these aspects of what appears and how things appear, and then trying to get down to how they actually exist. Because mm-hmm. in Buddhism, there's that first, that sentiment that, that, uh, that what we're experiencing when we're experiencing suffering and confusion and dissatisfaction, there's dissonance between what's appearing or what we're perceiving and how it actually exists. So the Buddhist tantric path is trying to remedy that, but with very powerful technologies, embodied technologies, um, and, and practices of, of uh, sacred world, uh, sacred self, sacred other, and then kind of you're using that to transcend self and other. So it's mm-hmm. just very unique. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, um, the Vajra and the bell, the, um, the, the, you know, I even have one of those uh, myself, actually, to sort of represent the, the sort of yin and yang, the masculine and feminine energies there, um, and how they do, in fact, um, you know, in much the same way that, that, that the energies of sun and moon or whatever system that you're using um, are kind of uh, complementary. Um, and that sometimes I feel like one of the things that happens is, is that because of this sort of supremacist view or because of this better than view or because of this certain kind of view that may be more emphasizing one kind of energy, um, we end up with uh, an imbalance and that disrupts what we would call our equanimity or our, our sort of more peaceful, more, more balanced, more sort of wisdom state. And, um, and I'm wondering how inviting in more of the feminine or paying homage more to that uh, plays out not only in your practice, but in real time, right? Because I'm always mm-hmm. big on what I like to call applied mindfulness, which is the idea of it's great to sit there on your cushion and to be in a cave and to do these wonderful things and have different states of being, but it's even really great when you're able to show up and know the right thing to do or not do when you're actually in a in a place um, with real people in real time because you've been practicing and because you've been contemplating these, um, you know, these teachings. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, definitely the, the Buddhist path, we, we consider there's like two wings, the wing of wisdom and the wing of skillful means and uh, skillful means really, it, it relates to activity. It relates to relationality and, and the wisdom aspect relates to waking up to how reality actually is. And so, when these are disconnected for us from a Buddhist perspective, we're not able to actually act skillfully, even though it may look skillful or we think we're acting skillfully. If there's no wisdom, you know, or sometimes we say compassion without wisdom is bondage and wisdom without compassion is bondage. So the path is to kind of bring these two wings together and then to grow that way. So for me, definitely, I mean, you know, this is my goal i guess <laughs> if i had a goal but this is like my path you know to bring these together and it's it's not easy because i think it's easy to show up and say i'm all for you and and i'm here and i'm here to rescue you i think it's much harder to understand the dynamics of a situation and the intricacies of, of a situation excuse me the intricacies of a situation the complexities to be able to show up for that situation that's actually going to have lasting impact and i think that's one of the dissonances we're, we're having right now um uh just generally it's really hard to figure out what is truth and what's going to actually be of real benefit a lot of us think we may know but i think it's a little bit more complex than than people give it credit mm. um yeah and i'll stop it yeah 
Well, I was just, I was thinking of something that you said about um, when we were chatting about this um, and we were texting or emailing and you said, in my experience, there are just some fundamental pieces of humanization that are missing for many of us in American society. It seems like there is a privilege to humanization ratio and that this gets broken through a deep reflection, meaning disrupted, meaning, you know, it gets broken, meaning it gets interrupted through a deep reflection um, on a rebirthing of compassion within oneself and for oneself in connection with others, which I think is beautiful. And I think that speaks to what you're talking about now in terms of um, the wisdom piece, as well as the skillful means piece. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And the compassion, excuse me. You know what I mean, what you just said. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Yeah, and and you know, there's you know, just as just as you were mentioning, and I, I also was going to say something around that, which is this, you know, whether however someone presents or however someone believes or disbelieves in gender, ultimately, um, gender is a construct. Like Buddhism also accepts that. Yet there is still these these energies um, of of feminine and masculine energy. However, we want to label them. There's these parts that that intertwine and. You know, I think for me, when I'm, you know, just being a human being, it's trying to bring these two energies uh, uh, to balance within myself, these energies of, of my feminine qualities and, and my masculine qualities. Um, and again, and, and what I'm discovering is, is there's many layers of subtlety, subtlety to that. And mm-hmm. you asked earlier, this, this, what does the kind of feminine mean in Vajrayana? And really the, the, the feminine in Vajrayana is represented by openness and space. Mm. Um, and I'm not saying those are, that doesn't represent all feminine qualities, obviously, but, but when we talk about the path of skillful means, we could say compassion is part of skillful means. Mm-hmm. And wisdom, uh, the skillful means and compassion is actually a masculine aspect in Vajrayana Buddhism. And the wisdom aspect of waking up into the nature of reality, what that need, the space of that nature reality nature of reality is the feminine aspect mm. and so for a practitioner we're trying to merge those two via recognizing the nature of mind and and, and allowing compassion what we call non-referential compassion to unfold from there hmm. and so so for me the, the that's something you can't connect to through knowledge and thinking and and i should say uh, conceptual based knowledge you you can get a kind of finger pointing we call it like a finger pointing at the moon through conceptual knowledge but the actual feminine principle within vajrayana buddhism one has to waken up to their their wisdom nature that that inner space of the mind that gives birth to all that exists and 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 goes beyond existence right so yeah so 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 yeah bringing it back down to earth (laughs) with a little bit um yeah why i wrote that to you um when we were just chatting a bit was was Definitely, I, I feel like it's it's a humanization problem. I mean, racism, uh, patriarchy, and, and and capitalism, or I should say, the form of capitalism we have in the United States right now, the heavy competitiveness around it. When these three, as these three, are kind of a unit in the United States, at least, um, they they dehumanize us all. You know, I mean, this is one of the reasons I'm I'm out of the country. I you know I, I love the United States. I'll always be a part of it. Um, I want to serve there as well, but um, but definitely like um, we need to find ways to rehumanize, and it's and it's really hard because um, you know when there's heavy competitiveness, this is to me such a distortion of masculinity. You know, uh, just just 
pushing beyond our means to to be, you know? So you see that this is actually part of the, I don't want to say toxic masculinity, but that kind of, that this capitalism piece is part of that. It could be, yeah. Yeah, I mean, these are just kind of thoughts I'm sharing with you. Yeah, 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 but it's the system. I guess what I'm getting at is this, this heavy competitiveness, this extraction at all costs, this idea of having to be better, this idea of being um, dominant and sort of... um, not maybe recognizing that spacious place as also being a place of strength and a place of wisdom and a place of um, sustainability and a place of balance or peace that, that there's sort of just like a one note kind of a situation there about more or better, as opposed to what happens when we don't just go vertical, but we go perhaps more horizontal or multidimensional. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. I mean, it seems like that. And, um, and it's just, yeah, it's just an imbalance of, of definitely like uh, masculine energy. That's, that's just sort of, and, and not such a good form of it because masculine energy, like everything like has a qual, you know, we have qualities where it gets distorted and then qualities where we can express it's more pure energy, just like feminine and, mm-hmm. and, uh, and those, those kind of spiritual qualities of them. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I think it's definitely a distortion and, and, and I think the healing until the, I mean, I hate to say it, but until men start to help each other to heal, um, there's, there's, I don't, I'm not that hopeful because, you know, we, you know, we, we started, you know, you wanted to talk about kind of toxic, toxic, uh, uh, masculinity, bro culture and spirituality. Well, I mean, I see it a lot. And I just shared with you something that, you know, has been sort of making the rounds with a lot of the spiritual teachers that, um, you know, there's there's sort of this uh, event where a lot of spiritual teachers that I really respect, um, you know, were were sort of involved in in something that that called to my attention that the you know potentially uh, the organizer of this event, you know, was was sort of coming from a place that that felt like it it was more that it was more. Um, more 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 tight, more toxic, more. Um, mm, rooted in some kind of superiority or something like that. Um, and I, and I guess I, I don't, I don't really know. I don't want to say more about it than that, but I guess that's kind of what prompted me to talk about this with you, because I do feel like even in the podcast I've done here on the Rerooted Network, and I don't know, maybe it'll even happen with this one. Oftentimes there'll be a lot of commentary from folks around, well, you can't be saying that, or it's not like that, or Mm. we're all one, or you, you mentioned the Mm. idea of transcendence and, you know, this idea. And it's like, of course that's true, but what happens with the absolute and the relative? What happens with, you know, I feel like people just skip ahead and they're like, well, you know, so how does that, how does a, how does a man such as yourself, um, or one not yourself, maybe not a Buddhist practitioner, but just, you know, become better at, at doing what you're saying, which is helping one another out as men to heal this place, to heal or to pay attention to this place that deserves love and care and connection, but uh, does so in a way that isn't bypassing, but that shows up as a real, for lack of a better word, ally with, um, with women, you know? Yeah. I mean, again, like, I, I don't know the complete answer to this because I think it's a complex problem. And so sure. it requires kind of like some looking and stuff, but I mean, definitely. And I, and I did want to say something about relative and absolute truth, because that's really an important thing to talk about. Cause I think a lot of people get really confused by this, both like, denying the relative aspects of something and or denying the absolute aspects of something. And in Buddhism, we're trying to merge those a little bit more skillfully, but, but anyways, I can say that later. Um, 
but to answer your question directly, I think just listening, you know, a lot of like, stop, stop, stop doing like take some, take more time to just be. And I also mean this for women because a lot of women internalize uh, patriarchy and internalize masculinity and, and, you know, toxic masculinity. I see it all the time um, in the way we we're forced to push ourselves out there. We're forced to sell ourselves. We're forced to market ourselves. And I'm not saying, you know, we need to make money, but it's sort of like we're in these systems that, that perpetuate the problem. And so as some of us have to decide no, I'm going to take a step back. And so for, for, for men, I think it's just listening more, listen to women. And this is just me to listen, listen to the, like when, when there's a case of, of assault, of course, that's like obvious. You're going to listen to that. It's more like, no, listen to the everyday things, the daily things, watch, pay attention. Um, uh, don't assume you're right. You know, just, so I think we need more practices and mansplaining. For, yeah, yeah. I don't have to man. You know, we need more practices and spaces just to, just to be and 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 heal. Because a lot of men are really, you know, we're wounded by this too. You know, we're wounded by, by um, uh, really bad, you know, patriarchal behaviors and and structures. Where for me, it was just a process of learning to feel again. You know, mm-hmm. so oh, there's wow. whole sets of, as you know, there's whole sets of practices for that. You know. I love that learning to feel again and that that's what this is really about. And I guess what I've noticed is that sometimes in the guise of that, and this is just my own lived experience, I don't know, but I've seen flashing New York Times articles that have been written in profiles about groups. And there's like, you know, Robert Bly, of course, did the fire in the belly piece back in the day, right? Where, you know, the sort of men were gathered around the campfire, so to speak, you know, sort of sharing what it means. And and then, you know, now I think there's sort of two groups that I'm aware of anyway. Maybe there's more mankind is one and every mm. man every man is another, where, you know, guys kind of get together and I don't know what they do because I've never been, but from what I've been told by people who are involved, you know, they kind of hug it out. And they, you know, <laughs> and there's 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 nothing wrong with that. But I just wonder if it's sort of like now we're patting ourselves on the back for being able to take a journey around our alcoholic father or our failed marriage and, and, and what happens next. Yeah. Yeah. And I think this is where, again, it gets, it gets, I mean, I'm using the word commodified a little bit more loosely. It's sort of like we're building spiritual egos around something and that needs to be torn down as well, where it's like, you know, for me, as much as like, I can see, yeah, there's been some work done and, you know, I've, some of my teachers have acknowledged that. There's so much to do. I'm I'm such a baby, you know, uh, uh, in, in my spiritual path. I'm such a, you know, some people will say, how could you call yourself a beginner after 20 years? Because I know how much there is to uncover mm-hmm. as a human being. Mm-hmm. And of course, it, it, how that intersects with me as a man and, and you know, a white man and all that, cisgendered white man. So, um, so there's, there's always something to learn. So I think it's kind of keeping this mentality of, you know, People use this term beginner's mind, but it actually means something more profound. But we can use it in this context, uh, beginner's mind, you know, that, that, I'm, um, that I'm always learning. And I think for me, that helps a lot in these areas where, again, it's when it, when it's, when, when it intersects with, with late stage capitalism, there's always this pressure to be an expert. Sorry, can I swear on your podcast? Of course, yeah. Fuck being an expert. <laughs> Who fucking cares? Seriously. So we're all trying to be like, I'm the expert. I got this article. I got this gig. And it's all like just fake bullshit. 
Mm. And so, sorry, I'm really like, I'm in a moment where, you know, mm. I'm reevaluating how I want to do the work I do in the world and serve. And, um, you know, when, when you go to other cultures, especially, you know, you find people not doing the same thing, you know, when you go to, you know, even in the United States, you have pockets of it, but yeah, there, there is a lot of good men's work being done. I have a few friends doing a lot of cool stuff. And I think it's just, it's like anything. It's like people have to just learn to be a, a learner, to be a student, you know, and, and sometimes we're in roles as a teacher and that's fine. But when you're not in a role as a teacher, just chill, you know, learn, right? Like that's kind of how I treat it. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the word that comes for me is humility. And I guess when I say that word and I think of these sort of types that I'm thinking of, and again, this is a type I'm generalizing here, which is not always recommended, but for the purposes of our conversation um, is sort of what, you know, we're going with for now is that, that there's um, a lack of feeling as though there's strength in humility. Mm. Which feels to me like it's rooted in fear, which feels to me like it's one of the three poisons that we start with when we talk about the Buddhist path. And that when we, to use Tara Brock's language, tend to befriend that fear, perhaps we can open to something beyond just that resistance to what might be a more open or spacious Vajrayana and feminine or otherwise just open um, principle of, of kind of shifting, of kind of allowing there to be a shift based on there being some humility as opposed to like what you just said, the violence of having to be quote unquote an expert, for example. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well said and, and, and beautiful. And yeah, it's kind of this, this, this thing of like, why can't we just be someone in community learning? And again, like our communities have been heavily fractured in the United States by whiteness and, and, and systemic white supremacy. I, I mean, like, I'm not saying all communities, like, obviously, uh, aspects of, of, and I'm obviously I'm not African American, so I'm just talking from observation. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, you know, they've had to form community just, just for forced to out of, out of, out of systemic oppression, systemic white supremacy and years of, incredible violence and then what's interesting i've seen like more white communities become fractured in, in certain ways it depends where you go like i started traveling more to the south to teach and i noticed there is a lot of cultural difference depending on where you go in the united states and, and so that's why it's so complex yet i i do notice that like a lot of the way i grew up i never felt like even though i had ethnic kind of aspect you know like jewish and there's community there and, and all of that italian a little uh, community but um still it was like fractured because everyone bought into whiteness so everyone's mm-hmm. like okay and whiteness doesn't give you culture or community right it just gives it just gave me uh um a set of shitty behaviors to be honest you know and so you know i think for 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 men in particular then there's the addition of of patriarchy the addition of of just embedded misogyny in, in the way we think. I mean, even as a teenager, the way we talked about women, it's, it's awful. You know, what, 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 you know, my friends and I, how, what we would say, and I had to learn, Oh yeah, that's not appropriate. Like that's not gonna, women don't like that. <laughs> it doesn't, it doesn't make you closer to women. And what's our goal? What, what do we really want? We want to belong. We want to be close. We want to feel loved. We want to love. And so I think um, there's a big, you know, element of that that just needs to be seen and and you know that's what i was saying in our message too it's like these days i'm just you know we need to push 
but I'm also like, I can't force someone to see something they, they don't want to see or can't see. You mean like think, a student, for example? Yeah, definitely a student. Or but a friend. Even like, yeah, or a friend. And, and, and even just sort of on, on, on social media, like I decided I just want to work on my shit. And hopefully at some point, I, people, you know, you become an example, you know, not because you, you're this great person. It's because you realize you're not. Yeah. You know, so, so it's kind of like what you, around what you were saying, I was thinking like, to me, I think one of the greatest goals as a human being is to not be anybody, Yeah. but to be someone in connection. And that's, it's really hard because of this fracturing, you know, of, of white supremacy and whiteness. Yeah. It's so interesting because um, I was reading a paper yesterday about sort of, um, I forget the title of it. And I guess it's, around. I don't know where I put it. Otherwise I'd pull it out. But essentially it was saying like this whole idea of transcendence and not self in terms of race and maybe for women also at a certain level, but um, that it, 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 it kind of doesn't work around the sense of we can't just go to this place of no self when we've been already erased and marginalized. And so mm-hmm. therefore that whole relative needs to be really, you know, I think it was Zenji Earth Emanuel who was sort of making that argument. Yeah. So um, I think Charles Johnson said it beautifully. Also, these are, you know, deep practitioners in various lineages. I think Johnson is Theravadan and I think um, the Mahayana tradition for Manuel, but I could be wrong. Anyway, the point being is that they're both sort of pointing to the idea of, you know, we we've already had to suffer erasure. We need to claim ourselves before we can then mm-hmm. transcend ourselves for ourselves and not be erased for us without our consent or agency, because that's the trauma place, right? So yeah. I think it's it's a both and here. And I think that's where a lot of um the trans like like what gets lost in translation um, around the Buddhist teachings, for example, but then how they don't really fully apply to folks who have been decentered or marginalized or, um, you know, th- that they apply differently. That it has to come from a different place. Does that make sense? What I'm saying? Totally. Yeah, and I'm glad you brought it up again. Um, in, in my observation, I, I've seen. For, just for instance, absolute truth in the way Buddhism talks about, it, especially Mayana Buddhism, it's incredibly difficult to understand, not only realize. In, in my experience, like I just feel like I'm starting to grapple with it. And so I think there's a lot of not really accurate information about it out there. And so definitely like when it's when it's an unhealthy, how to put this, when it's not the full description and full kind of connection to what that what absolute truth really means at least in buddha dharma i'm not sure other traditions um definitely it, it can it can sort of further marginalize um deny uh the relative the where when that relative is necessary like exactly what you're saying you know and i think um in my experience it's actually a lack of understanding that the relative and absolute we're not trying to distinguish those more we're trying to recognize the inseparability of those Mm. And that's really what the Buddhist view is. Exactly and, right. And that means, yeah, and that means having understanding. Right now we're in a body. And right, I mean, obviously, you know, and, and our bodies represent something in the world, you know, and because uh, of how American racism has come about, uh, specifically, that matters. Like you just, you know, obviously what you just said is beautiful. That, that matters. And so I think we never use absolute truth in Buddhism, at least in my experience of talking about it about emptiness and shunyata 
sunnatas, we never use that to deny that. Actually, we we wake up through the relative. Yeah. And and, and so and and you know one of my teachers, uh, Sonarimche, he says um, we have to learn to dance with the absolute and relative, mm. because if we if we go too much into the absolute and we kind of go into the like an unhealthy form of it, we might deny just cause and effect, which is happening. And then, and then it can be sort of like, ah, oh, there's, because yeah, ultimately there is no race. Ultimately there is no gender, but on a relative level there is. Yeah. So how would you yeah. point to that then in an example, perhaps as we kind of begin to wind down, how do you point to them that as an example of not denying cause and effect? So in real time, you have somebody who, for example, looks or is from their social location a lot like you, also practices perhaps, um, you know, some kind of tradition um, and and feels, um, yeah, that, 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 you know, precisely what you just said. Yeah, I think it's, it's really, a, again, goes back to humanization and and growing one's own compassion for oneself in connection with others and listening and watching to, to understand it's actually not possible to understand someone else's experience. Mm. But what we can do is have, have try to have empathy and try to listen and try to sit with that and then, and, you know, and get to know someone deeply so we can, we can see, ah, yeah, like their relative experience is not the same as mine. So, you know, someone in my social position, like some, a similar social position, um, uh, you know, that's what I would say is like white men have to just do more, less talking and more listening. Mm. And, and, and I think, and, and more heart. And like I said, more feeling, more opening up, more, more compassion for self. That's going to lead to compassion for others. And those kind of two, what I mean, compassion for self is getting, being willing to sit with our uncomfort, being willing to face that where other, other, um, um, peoples, they just, they've been forced into that. And in my opinion, I'm not saying their position is bad, is more privileged, you know, there's a difference between the privilege and actual like human becoming a good human being. They're actually better. A lot of people are better human beings for it. Mm-hmm. I, I think the less comfort, the, le- the more comfortable we are, it's more likely we're going to become a shittier human being, in my opinion. Yeah, I you know? see. Yeah, I, I get, I get what you're trying to say. There's an inverse. Yeah. Well, you just said that privilege was the inverse of what is the word you used? Um, the privilege to humanization ratio. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it and it's not that I wish that upon anyone. Like, wish someone to to have problems so they become a better human being. No, I want people to be free from suffering. I want them to be happy. But I do notice that. So I think it, it does require men like me to to learn to get uncomfortable with with our our ourselves and with our own past where a lot of us have trauma and violence in, in our bodies coming from our fathers. And so there's a big healing that, that needs to take place there. And, and again, I'm, I, I know this is across the board. I'm just sort of speaking specifically about, about mm. my group, I guess <laughs> the, my, my, so, um, but, but to answer, you know, go back to the relevant and, and, and ultimate a little bit, it's sort of like, I think transcendence doesn't mean transcending the whole thing. It means waking up through uh, uh, seeing clearly how reality is, is existing. And that doesn't deny, that doesn't change it into some Pollyanna thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think that's why the Buddha taught the, the first noble truth as, you know, uh, no suffering, you know, try to see. And, and so it wasn't to like be like, you know, beat a dead horse and in, in the sense of like, we, yeah, we, we know sufferings there. We, you know, we get, we know we're, you know, we're suffering, we get sick, we die, et cetera. What he was trying to 
do was kind of point us to something much deeper and the complexity of how dissatisfaction and suffering uh, pervade our life. And I think that opens a deep well of compassion and connection for each other, which mm-hmm. then starts to open a deep well of recognizing the nature and then the, uh, what we call the kind of the, uh, the open spacious nature of phenomena as they're at play with each other. So it's like as intersect, you know, a race and all these things are at play, recognizing that open space. And I think this goes both ways. I think activism can really benefit from that too, personally. Mm, Yeah. I mean, I think that it's, 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 you know, again, the both and, and, and what you're pointing to, I think about the relative and the absolute about the non-dual nature of it, not to, right? Like that's the whole point. It's that it's not to, we're just sort of pointing to these shades that are sort of, you know, the both and or the and, and, but not really distinctly to. Um, But again, that this is all sort of process um, and that, and that this idea of um, waking up, as I like to say, from the inside out, this sort of mm. self-compassion um, enables us to then show up for others. And I would say about the activist piece that, um, you know, there's a part of me that sees someone sort of sitting here with their, you know, <laughs> with their arms folded and their foot tapping like, hurry up, we need you. <laughs> and yet, at the, you know what I mean? Like, you've enjoyed your privilege and although we feel bad for you, you know, you know, you've, you've had your pain for a long, for a long time. We've had our pain, but, but you're the one with the power, you know, mm-hmm. one that in this constructed society, you know, you've been given more, more, more power. And so please, um, please at least do the work of stepping on the path so that it's in process and that there's more of a collective base of that process happening and that um, self-compassion happening in, 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 whatever white cis het male communities for example so that then that allyship that allyship and that um you know compassion outside can really be real and can really come forward because that tolerance for discomfort internally has uh, has started to shift as opposed to just needing to be defended against and, and pushed away um yeah but I, I think there's a waiting there i think there's a little <laughs> there's a little impatience well, there yeah, <laughs> i know mean, you can't like... rush it but you know <laughs> well i mean you know i'm to me, my work is 24 uh, seven. There's no rest. Maybe my dreams, because I can't really meditate in my dreams yet, but mm. there's really no rest. And I think um, for me personally, because I think change comes from a lot of angles. And, and you know, this is one thing I think, uh, tough, tough to say, tough to do, but um, change isn't, doesn't always come from pushing, you know? And mm. so I think there's, there's, there's a certain amount of pushing that needs to happen. And then a certain amount of kind of rest, Mm -hmm. then push and rest. Mm -hmm. And then at the same time, like if people aren't internally uh, working with their confusion, uh, uh, clinging and anger, um, I don't think whatever the pushing is, it's it's not going to go in the right direction. And we'll just continue to push uh, the uh, afflictive emotions. So again, that's not to say people need to deny their anger. It's just understanding the nature of anger is what Mm -hmm. needs to happen. And that's the more long-term process. So I think, Another aspect of modern, I would call it kind of late stage capitalist patriarchal society is, is um, everyone's in a rush. Yeah. You know, they want quick fixes. You know, what I do with a student first off when they come to me and they're like, I got all this problem. This, I'm like, slow down. You know, we're, we're, there's no just think of this as a life process. And I'm not saying you can't we can't heal quickly. Sometimes we can. A lot can change within a month. 
uh, for sure, as you know, you know, with your clients, I'm sure. But, um, but at the same time, it's just getting people out of this mentality of like, we're in a world and we're making that world each moment. So how do we want a world that's rushed and pushy? Or do we want a world where we're connecting? But again, when there's like d- direct daily oppression, violence, fear on people's uh, bodies of color and women, I get that. And I'm trying my best. <laughs> I know. For me, from, from my position, I serve through the spiritual path. That's my form of activism. Yeah, yeah. You know, and, and also centering voices, you know, uh, voices of color when I can and voices of women, especially. And with that, um, I really appreciate scotttusa.com is your website. Um, this conversation is S-C-O-T-T-T-U-S-A.com. And um, I just want to really extend uh, a great dose of gratitude for engaging in this conversation around what is sometimes a, you know, prickly place. Um, but I, I think that it's a beginning. And the more that we just start to kind of talk about this um, and just sort of air it out, the better. Totally. Thank you so much. Yeah, I know. I love it to me. Just like, let's get into it. So I really appreciate it. Yeah. Well, maybe we'll do part two someday. <laughs> <laughs> cool. I'd like that. All right, Scott. Thanks so much. Take good care and enjoy Mexico. Thank you. All right. Ciao, ciao. Bye now.